Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, guest Charlie Clawson, uh, returning guest Charlie Clawson. That's nice. That's what I like. Uh, Graham Elwood, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? Or as you would say, Graham Elwood. Yeah, yeah I know. Right? I mispronounced my own. Well, here's what it is. I obviously am an American, so Americans just mispronounce it. Right. So my whole life, <laughs> I, it was funny. When I, when I did that tour in Australia last year, I was right. like, oh, that's right. This is how my name is actually supposed to be pronounced. Right. There's a whole extra syllable. Yeah, yeah, that we don't we don't use in America. <laughs> no. I remember there was two two UK comics where we did it. I was at the UCB like a couple years ago, and these two English comics were there, and they're like, "What's your name?" And I was like, "Graham." And they're like, "I'm sorry, what?" And I had explained two times, and then they went, "Oh, Graham. Yeah. Okay." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I've I've butchered my own name. I don't know how to pronounce my own name." Uh, I, I enjoyed that you just went into the accent, then that I saw you using your set as an Australian accent last night. <laughs> yes, if you're you're British and your Australian accent, they very look. It's very look, it's bring the world together. That's what well, I. Well, you like got to a say. Union Jack in your flag, right. so I might as well. <laughs> Arms across the ocean. It's... <laughs> Like, <laughs> like if if you've ever listened to comedy film nerds, you know my accents are horrible. That's my that's my that's like my thing is bad accent. I can only do like an English accent or like a Russian one, like 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 from Rounders, like John Malkovich from Rounders. I can either do hello or I can do you know or I, <laughs> I can do that one. Or I can do, you know, that's not your car. I will sell you a rocket ship. Like, those are the two. <laughs> right. And I can do all the American ones. Sure, well, yeah. that's that. I mean, that's still some character. <laughs> I mean. some, if, I can, if I can't pronounce my own name, you got to know my accents aren't going to be accurate. I, I'm interested to ask you this, in fact, because uh, I, I think about this all the time, which is there's no such thing as a complete comic. Like, as in, and what I mean by that is there's no comedian who is really good at all the skills right 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 like you know if, if a guy's really good at telling stories he's probably not a world class one liner person and if right. someone's you know really good at like you're doing puns they're probably not doing like right. you know whatever or like you know or even like mime or acts outs or accents or voices right. or impressions right? right not everybody has like that wide range of skills and you don't need them all no you don't I could never like I mean I just I, I couldn't even do an. I, so, someone pointed it out to me once in my act that the only impression I do is when I do Australians. <laughs> like I, the only impression I do is of our own voice. I don't do any other impressions. <laughs> I do an impression of the thing I already am. That's it, right? But I often think that if if I could take one skill, if there was one thing that I like. I would love to have and I think that would make my work better is I would love to have a gift for voices oh. I would love to be able to just like go into those characters and do the voice like I mean I'm not saying do impressions but I mean like right. yeah, when you're doing a character and stuff make that character not sound like the the other one like you know <laughs> they all sound the same they do <laughs> like often if I've got two characters having a conversation the only way the tell audience can tell the different people is I have to shift my body from <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And then I have to concentrate on not getting out of sync. Right. Fuck because, up a bit, you yeah. know. The audience will get confused. I get, I get caught in my own little who's on first. <laughs> by myself. So, uh, if you could take one skill from another comedian, it doesn't have to be specifically from another comedian, but, you know, like one sort of thing that you would love to be good at that you don't kind of have in your armory, what do you think it would be? You know, I think honestly... 
Well, because I, I think I think and this is a huge generalization, but I think there's basic basically two kinds of comedians. Oh, I think there's that the is per- a huge generalization. There's huge generalizations. <laughs> there's tall and short. No, there's a, there's there's personality comics, and there's material comics. Do you know what I mean? Like a personality comic, and I'm a personality comic, and not and I'm not like there's comics who are really solid, amazing writers, uh, and they have a decent stage presence. Sure. But they're... You, you, does, that, you know, does that make sense to yeah. me? Yeah. You could almost give someone else their act, and th- that other person wouldn't do it in the same way, but right. they'd be able to do it because they're funny the jokes. act is solid. Right, yeah. You, you could, could put it in someone else's hands, and they might reinterpret it, but it would work because yeah. it's well put together, whereas... Sometimes it is, and certainly, and you know, you brought this up yourself. Last night was the first time I've got to see you do a really long set. Mm-hmm. We did a show together last night, and um, you, you, what did you do, like 30 or 40 minutes or something? Yeah, or maybe like, even 40, yeah, 40, like, think, yeah, yeah, right. So, like, a really decent, mm-hmm. got to see you do a really decent sized set. And you're one of those people, and I would put Bill Burr in this category as well, in that. You know what? Like, it's not necessarily about the journey. It's not necessarily about where you're going. It's right. about the shit that's happening on the way to where you're going. Right. Like, you right, know, right. It's, it's about the journey. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you're going to a place that, you know, people have seen a million times. And I, I, I say this a lot with Bill. Bill never takes me to a place that I haven't seen someone else go to before. Mm-hmm. But on the way to a place that I think I've been to millions of times, right. he points out 10 different things that you've never seen before on the way there, <laughs> right? And, and I think that's what you mean. That, like, your stuff is that it's in... Like, a lot of it's in you. Right. And how you're telling the story. And how you're reacting to yeah. those moments. And the little shit that you're finding fascinating along the way. And the little callbacks you're putting into your own work and stuff. That's what I... Yeah. That, I like. Thanks. And I think that's, to me, like, what I mean. Like, that's my personality. Like, I don't think you could... You know, and, 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 I, and I like writing jokes. But I'm not even a guy that sits down and writes. Right. I hit a, a premise pops into my mind and I write that down and then I work it out on stage and so much of my writing I think I do when I'm like last night on stage fucking around like that whole thing with Andy's beach chair I'm th- in my head going can I make this a regular bit it came out like it was fully formed material <laughs> like literally the end joke of it which we won't go into but it literally has that rhythm of like you're like da 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 dollars per da 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 and I was like oh my god is this like this sounds like this happened today like because it was just like you're telling this story that happened this day and you're like but this is I said this feels like a fully finished bit yeah I mean that's uh, but what I also loved about that and I should point out to people is that Andy was um, hosting the show Uh but you were really just telling a story about the two of you hanging out. Right. And the audience don't really know him. Like, you know, I mean, he's hosting the show. But like, you know, and that's what I really loved about it was you were able to just tell a story that happened between two people that they don't really know that well, right? It's not like, oh, the adventures of Andy and Graham again. What what are they up to? Tune in for more. Like, it's not like they're waiting for their hangover four, you know? (laughs) It's not the wolf pack. People are... But you managed to make that like fit work like it was material. And I feel like that sort of stuff. And again, that's why I said it was nice to see you on a long set because that's not stuff that necessarily, if you see someone do seven minutes, they don't have the room to breathe to right. get to that cool stuff. Like, you know, the stuff that's really well, the fun. One of the things, 
And this is the thing that I, like last night, and then Andy, you know, when he closed the show out, he called it back and said, this show is brought to you by $10 Beach Chair. Is it Rite Aid or whatever yeah. joke he made? I love stuff like that. That show you and I did together in Melbourne. The Shelf, Justin Hamilton's show. That was so fun, and we kept calling. I love a show where there's like, it feels like a show. You're ball busting. Of, you're, it's like a roast kind of. and, and, and like a, But it's, it's a show. It's great. I love that. It's meant to be a show. Right. People have come out for the show. Mm -hmm. People haven't come out to go, I would like to see like 10 different people and then have no connection with each other. And yeah. then I can judge just which one I like and which one I don't. Yeah. It's much more fun if everyone feels like... I mean, we were talking about this off air, but the great thing about the lineup you put together uh, for the show we did last night was, and you had put it together, which makes a real difference, mm -hmm. but it was a really eclectic lineup. Like the comics were all very different, but they all fit very nicely within that same show. Sometimes on a show where there's heaps of different comics, one of them will do really badly just not because they're not good, just because they're different right. to the vibe that everyone else is at and it's too much of a, a U-turn or a, like a left turn or whatever yeah, yeah. in that moment. But in that show last night, people were like, oh, no, no, this is a show. Like right. every, this is all involved with each other. It was, so, it was so fun. And, and, and I think that's part of like, I kind of learned that because when you – for, for kind of a kind of Chris and I have sort of figured that a little bit from comedy film nerds. Like when we put the book together, or like everyone's got their own voice, but it's the same tone, right? You know what I mean? Like everyone's kind of in that same thing, and that's like how, how I want to do that show. And again, that 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 shelf show we did, like I was laughing. I was talking about one of my things that I, I loved about that show. Why it was so fun for me. Because I didn't know any of you guys really. Sure. Was you we you and I were talking backstage, and you got a little loud. Right. And they and the comments. I was, I was, you was drunk. I was drunk. <laughs> I was drunk. That won't come as a surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast. I'm mostly drunk when I do this. In fact, during the, we have a drinking game for this podcast that like the listeners put together, and one of the times they drink is when you can hear on air me going to the fridge and getting a beer and opening a beer. So. Well, it was like, and you, and the, the comics on stage were like, hey, Will, shut up or whatever. And then you came back a little later and you said, I'm sorry I was talking so loud. I was talking to a foreigner, <laughs> which was great. And then I like, and then I kept, nice, delicious. <laughs> and then I like, I came out and then acted like a dumb American and was like, right. where's the planet Hollywood? And like, and that just, we kept, I love that to me is like you say it should be a show right and like the way we're that, all there anyway yeah we're all that's there. my that's my thing mm -hmm. is like we're all already here we might as well do something good yeah and like this is the reason we all got into this i don't understand why like every show isn't like that because we're all like it's almost like i always feel like sometimes we should all just like get together at the start now, I know it's an in, in some ways it's a very individualistic pursuit stand-up right. comedy. Like, I mean, in some ways it's as it's, it's, it's much as it can be. Mm -hmm. You know, one person standing on stage with that arrogant thought that my thoughts alone are interesting enough to entertain a room full of people, right? <laughs> you know, please pay me to do the thing that you, mo you want most people to stop doing every fucking day. <laughs> Like, you spend most of your week going, I wish that person would shut the fuck up. And now I'm going to take some of my hard-earned money to go out and see a guy who reckons he's so good at doing that. But anyway, so... You just made me want to quit. No. Right. <laughs> he said that like, 
Oh no, I'm the asshole that won't shut up all week. Um, but they um, uh, but my point being this is that it's a it's meant to be it's meant to be something. It's meant to be an event, and I love those shows when it is that, and everybody does feel like they're involved, and then it just is something extra. Well, they're getting something special, right? And also too, when I first got into comedy. It was because all I ever did in school was goof off with my dumb buddies. Okay. Like, right? Like that's so. I want to sit in the back of the room and 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 have my friends make me laugh. You know what I mean? Like, I want to sit there and laugh all night. Like, like when I see the shows and comics are all like pitted against each other and all this other. I'm just like, it's such a downer. And that's the other thing too. Is well, this is. I mean, and I guess like you know, it probably. Like people who don't have to read too far in between the lines on this one, because clearly we're sitting here doing a podcast, right? But but this is what I love about this medium is it's given me an environment to be able to just be funny and creative with my friends again for no reason, just to talk about whatever, like, whatever. I mean, honestly, fun. like we did comedy filmers because we're like that's all we would do in green rooms at comedy right. clubs to talk about movies. So why don't we just do that and just and bag on them and argue or fight or you know laugh or whatever? And so. Like, another thing, too, and you know this from being on the road so much, when you're on the road, you're not getting to hang out with your other comedy friends. Right. You just do the gig, and then you're in the hotel, and then it's kind of isolated. You're you're kind of isolated. And so, like, and also, too, specifically to Hollywood. I mean, it, it is one of those things where, I mean, I, I did notice that the other day. I was in Seattle for, like, a week of shows there. And it was just at the end of me doing a long run of shows away because I like my own space. Like I don't actually mm-hmm. mind being by myself. Sure. But I quite like that aspect of it. But it was four days in Seattle and it was quite cold and I was walking around and I was just like being this solitary dude for four days. And I and I was real I was turning into Superman Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> and you had a problem when I was out in the back trying to do origami with a truck. And <laughs> I but yeah, you can get a little crazy, a little bit like I just like to hang out with some people and well, have some fun, yeah, have feel, a bit of normal life. You know? Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Like I do always, I definitely need time to myself. I need my, I think a lot of comics have that quality, but also it, like you say, it can get too much where you're, it's this crazy contrast of the show and hundreds of people there or however big the venue is and then after the show it's all crazy and it's fun and then it's you're completely alone yeah like there's no there's no middle there's no ascension there's just it's just like boom bam like and, and so uh, that's like being home and the other thing too that's uh, a, that's i think why people love festivals right is that you know there is like, I mean, you know, you go you go into your show and then you can go and hang out or you can go do other late night shows or you can go into a set list or you can go and like go to the festival club and you, you feel like you're actually part of something. But but on the road's not like that. No way. Man. Unless you're one of those crazy people who's like, oh my God, it's Tuesday night and I'm in Cincinnati. I'm going to do some mess with some audience <laughs> members. You know, like there is some of those people too. Yeah. A bunch of them are already dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, we won't name who we're talking about, but check recent death notices. Any comic that's died recently right, and there was right. a drug related, that's what, what's going on. Um, but yeah, and the other thing too, like, I remember when I first moved to LA, you know, you had to do so. So, where did you move from? Where were you from? Chicago. I'm from okay. Chicago originally. 
Um, but and I you started doing comedy in Chicago. I actually started doing it when I was a freshman at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Oh, okay. So I went to college in Tucson, and so I I started doing stand up there. I was in a stand up comedy competition that was emceed by a young mullet wearing Judd Apatow. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Acid wash jeans and a mullet. And, uh, <laughs> Um, I think if you go to my YouTube page, my first ever set is, is on, which I know most comics would never do, but I'm like, I don't give a shit. This is how I started. You see an 18-year-old me, an 18-year-old Graham. Oh, I know. I, 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 yeah, I, and I've got to be honest with you as well. I'd be happier with my first set being on my website than, like, I'm, than I am with my DVD that came out five years ago. Right. Because like, I know how much better I am than... I was when I did the DVD. Right. But of course I'm a lot better than I was when I yeah, first started. It would yeah, be nobody. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, oh, that's all right. That's yeah. like, look at me. Look how naive I am. So what's yours like? It's, uh, well, it's just like a five minute, it was a college comedy competition. Um, but so then, uh, so yeah, I, was, I started doing it there and I was in a sketch comedy group and then I went back to Chicago and started making my living there because there was a lot of clubs in Chicago at the time. Okay. And then, so I was making my living as a road comic and then moved to LA and then, you know, everyone's trying to break into film and TV. That's why you come here. And so you do all these showcase nights in front of indus- industry, quote unquote. And so you, you had to put together these seven minute sets that were just so, to me counterproductive to what stand-up should be a freestyle of course you know like i mean the, the even the idea of getting you set down to me is something that i don't enjoy yeah like i enjoy that like you know i've been running my montreal set the last uh two weeks i've done probably like 12 mm-hmm. it's probably done it 12 times in the last two weeks and mm-hmm. i still got another like five or six times right before montreal like i just got a lot of stage time just doing the set mm-hmm. that's all i'm doing getting up doing the set and um, I've, I've not run it the same way once, but it's exactly the same set that I'm running right. in about the same amount of time each night. I'm just like, you know, I know where the jokes are, but I'm not saying them the same way because you don't like go into it the same way. Right. You know, there's no point going like going, well, this, this will be the energy I go into here if you're not for whatever reason that that energy when <laughs> you, you know, when you hit into it, it's just going to jar and be weird. So. And to me. And again, like going back to the earlier thing, like why I consider myself a personality comic or whatever, I do, I do a lot of riffing. I like that because that is the magic of the live show. Right. Is no two live shows are the same. Even if I did the same quote unquote set list, yeah. something is going to change. And I like playing off of whatever's going on. I, I, I like the identifier. I like the idea that someone could come up to you and say, hey, I was at your show where, and if they named the right thing, yeah. that moment... You'd be able to identify. You go, oh yeah, I remember every that. show. I remember that, yeah. like, because that's the bit you remember. And that, that to me is what live stand-up comedy should be. And I'm glad we sort of there's been this renaissance, at least in the U.S. of, and maybe this has happened in Australia too, a renaissance of stand-up comedy in the last five years, mainly driven by the technology, uh-huh. because you have these young people in their twenties and thirties who are. You know, like the podcast listener, you know, they're technically savvy and they're like buying comic CDs and no one had a seat for, no one was making albums like this. And the fan is like, oh, I love that bit. I love the new CD. And there's this whole like appreciation of it. And last night was kind of an example of how I'm glad the improv is going in this direction of letting me book a night because we promoted it heavily on Comedy Film Nerds and got a lot of our fans out who many of them were like, oh, we were at the, because I did this, this is only the second time I've done it. I did one in April. 
and had different, a different lineup of comics. And they're like, oh, I'm going to come to this every time now. Because now I've done it twice. And they're like, oh, you just put great acts together and it's a blast. Right. And everyone's different. And to answer, go back to your earlier question of what other style, one thing I wish I could do is more political stuff. It's hard for me to do it without getting angry. Yeah, good. Well, that's interesting. You know, because I can't, I have certain, I can weave certain things in. But when I try to go after a certain premise, it just comes off like I'm a crazy guy. There's, no, there's nothing funny. It's just me going, fuck you, you know, and this, it's just a rant. Is there, but is there something in the idea of, because I'm fascinated at the moment by, uh, you know, um, comedy about the human process. Like even that idea of like talking about politics and talking about how when you talk about politics you get too angry and like that, you know, do you mean like that being about what it's about, which then gives you an opportunity to, you know, give yourself a device and a world through which to, because I think that not only talking about politics is something that your audience would be interested in, but I think even more important than that, what interests me the most is your struggle or your journey, <laughs> you know, to be, to express yourself and be who, cause that's the really interesting things, right? Yeah. That's... What people are really like. I, that's an interesting way. I haven't looked at it that way. Like, I mean, an example, like the last show, I, the last time I did this with me and Dave and we went, talked about the whole, and, and I left here happy we did it and glad we had the conversation, but I was, I get emotionally worked up at these things. Right. And, you know, I, every, you know, this is- Maybe you need so to, I, I maybe know. if you're going to be a political comedian, you need to be like uh, Michael Flatley from Riverdance who- uh, immediately had to have sex when he got off stage in Riverdance. That was his big thing. And uh, maybe you could be like, you know, you could be like a great angry political comic, comic, but you have to have like someone to give you a hand job as soon as you get off stage <laughs> just to like, so that you don't, like it's, Graham's work is like, he's like a, he's like a new Carlin. What is his secret? <laughs> just like a girl with some lotion on the side of the stage. Just got like mittens on, ready to <laughs> just go. So ready to go, champ. Oh, this is his closer. Here we go. <laughs> Oil it up. Just... I would do that. I mean, balancing out the force, you know. That's, <laughs> I'm just... That sort of thing. So there's a young lady out there with soft hands. Right. Uh, email me. You, and... could, you could be part of the origin story of the world's edgiest political <laughs> comedian. <laughs> You want to go on the road? If you like staying at Hampton Inns off the freeway, email me and we'll, we'll discuss. Uh, now, last time we were going to talk, uh, you know, comics and comic books and superheroes and stuff, and we got distracted as we always do on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I, I thought that, you know, it'd be, we talked a little bit about Superman, uh -huh. but, um, you know, we could, we could talk about other superhero movies. I would love to, like, what are you... What are, you, uh, what are your favorites? I, would you say that the uh, the Nolan movies yeah. are by far and away your favorites? Yeah, without or? a doubt. For so many reasons. Uh, I'm, I've, I've been doing... The, it's on cable at the moment, uh, <sighs> The Dark Knight Rises, and I, I now am probably watching about 35 minutes of it a day. You, 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 just, I just go by and I'm You like, have to. Right. What's it was on... on uh, United had it on because I fly mainly United in the States so yeah. United had it on and I was watching it once or twice a week in its entirety like yeah. we, I'd be on a plane that had direct TV and had 200 channels and I'd be like well I'm going to watch Dark Knight again the people on this uh, who listen to this podcast regularly know um, I was catching a plane and uh, it was on the in, the in the plane thing and they had the subtitles stuck on uh, and I was annoyed by that at the start and then I realized that I could do 
karaoke to it. So I spent the entire plane ride, like, because I knew most of the dialogue anyway. And it was, it was so much fun. Like, you know, just sitting oh. there. Because there's a lot of good, you know, the voices you could, is... like, I mean, it's just great. I could do, I could just have Bane on a loop. Like, everything Bane says in that movie is, is, is brilliant. And Tom Hardy... The more you watch it, the more, the more, especially when you know what his end game is. The first time you see it, you don't know what the end game is right. of, of him and the League of Shadows and everything. And then when you know what his end game is and you watch it again, you're like, that's brilliant. Yep. That he's concocting this thing and getting people worked up and giving them a hope. And it's, oh God. And the fact that Tom Hardy did that. And I was a guy going, no one can follow. Uh, Heath Ledger. No one can follow him. I just, I just, I was like, I just, I was like setting myself up for, I think Dark Knight Rises is going to be okay. But I just was like, I'm not sold on Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. I love Tom Hardy as an actor, but uh, I don't know. And he was fucking amazing, man. Through a mask. Through a mask. I, I keep saying this thing, but he's made it so that in the future when people make Batman movies it will be impossible for them not to include Bane as an important part of the Batman world, which is not something that anyone would have no. ever said before this no. film. No. Joker like elevated Bane in front... Like, the, no, Rid- no. the Riddler and the Penguin and those guys have gotten relegated to, sure. like... They How many players. people before Dark Knight right. Rises who were just sort of passive Batman fans right. knew who Bane was? Do you know what I mean? Everyone knows of the Joker. Right. Like, my mom knows of the Joker. I don't think anyone watched the previous Batman movies and went, I hope Poison Ivy's bodyguard gets a yeah. spin-off movie. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think anyone said that. No. I, yeah, man, those, those movies... When Batman Begins came out, it was, it was in a nice position because it was coming off of... 15 years of awful, one worse than the other Batman movie. Correct. I mean, the first one, Michael Keaton brings Vicky Vale into the Batcave. Like that right there, I'm like... And every one of those, he's he's revealing his goddamn identity. Kevin Smith talks about this a little bit, but the, the most interesting thing about the first one, the Tim Burton one, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that um, at the time, we were grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the thing that yeah. people, like... I remember looking being back fired it, up. Right. Looking back on it, you go, how, how could we have ever, like, thought that this was a good idea? But at the time, you were like, they've made a Batman movie, and it's not horrible. It wasn't the Adam West TV show was the, the only thing it had going for it. Right. You know? And, but you're, you're coming off of, and they tried to... You know, they pulled some things from the Dark Knight graphic novels. They yes. pulled little things in there and you went, oh, that's, they're planting that seed and then they wouldn't, it wouldn't come to fruition. It's, yeah, I remember when that movie came in at the time, so fired up and then being kind of let down. And then each successive one just being like, to the point where I didn't even see the Joel Schumacher one. Because in an interview, he said, this one's going to have more bat butt than ever. This is my... <laughs> When Joel Schumacher said that, I was like, you, how the fuck did you get in charge of this franchise? Well, that, that was probably his pitch. Yeah. He probably just went in and said, you know what's been missing from those previous Batman movies? Yeah. Bat butt. Bat butt. 
He's one of those guys that's like, oh, it's a, it's really a gay story, yeah. Batman and Robin. Oh, okay. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> you're 100% wrong. <laughs> but... <laughs> you know... I'm all. They just they just passed gay marriage in California. I'm all for it. Right. God bless it. You but don't know what you're talking about. This is not it. This, this is, is not it. Not. This is not a cruise through the Greek Isles. You don't know what you're talking about. All right. Oh God, it's infuriating. I I could. Oh. That that happened. My water bottle keeps making noise. Um, that happened. And my, one of my sisters one time asked me, we're all together for like Christmas. They're like, so what do you think of the new Batman movie? And I went on a 20 minute like diatribe and they had no idea. And then since there was like for 10 years, then they would always buy me a Batman related something. All right. Because they're like. That was the incident. Yeah. They were like, wow, Graham's yeah. out of his mind when it comes to this. Yeah. So they, I have, I have Batman cookie jars and banks and everything. Uh, so tell me then. So you, the, those four movies passed by the, the original Batman movies. Then you get word that Christopher Nolan's going to be involved in, you know, rebooting the Batman franchise. Now, were you a Christopher Nolan fan before he got his hands on Batman? I liked Christopher Nolan, and I was like, I like, you know, I, 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 I think what had he done at that point? Was it Memento? just Memento and had um, had the what's the other one that he did? Insomnia. The, uh, Insomnia. Those are the only two I think. I, I, I really liked Memento. Right. And I was like, okay. And I already had, uh, you know, PTSD from those four movies. So I was already <laughs> just... I was already... And you all understand, too, in 2002... Right. The comic book movies were almost... Were all, was one horrible one after another. Terrible. They were all awful. Terrible. Awful. You know, and remember that when the X-Men came out, we all went, no, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. But, but, but you Comparatively. Know, if you've been in a terrible, terrible relationship right. for a, <laughs> like just, a long time. Yeah, a 15-year awful relationship. Right. And then you meet someone that's kind of cool. Right. You know, you're like, oh, this, is, this is great. I mean, it doesn't hit me. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... So what if I have to pay the rent and he doesn't right. work? He doesn't. Yeah, know. I mean he's a he's a step up for yeah, me. Yeah, he's not right? cooking meth in the bathtub, yeah. so this is a good thing. Right, he's got a separate to the house meth lab. I mean, this is a real <laughs> step forward for me. I mean, I've never lived in a house that didn't have the meth lab in the house. In the, this is great. I mean, this is fancy pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's how I was going into right. Batman Begins. With like low expectations, the trailer looked cool. Yeah, did look cool. I was like, I like Christian Bale, but my first thing was they cast a guy that's too small again because Batman is drawn like he's six four. Right. He's yeah, a, he's massive he's in the m- comics. He's massive in yeah. the comics, and I'm like, ugh. And how are they going to do this suit and all this stuff? And I left that movie. I saw it at the Chinese theater in, in Hollywood opening weekend, and we were all like. Oh my God. Yeah. And then the closing scene where Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. I just got chills. Right. Shows the Joker card. The whole theater fucking erupted. And we all went, okay, man. Yeah. Yeah, we're was, in. We're in. I'm, I'm, I've got it. <laughs> and then the trailers with Heath Ledger. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm getting chills. I was in that theater like. I was on the road. I was working on the road with Doug Benson and we were in, I think, like Tampa. Mm. And I was just like, all right, I got it. And that movie, 
the music of it. I mean, that movie was... Batman Begins is one of the best... I, I, at that time it came out, I said, this is the best comic book movie that's ever been made. Yeah, I think it probably was at the time. You know? Uh, Dark Knight Returns is should be in the top 100 of movies, of all movies ever made. Why it didn't get a nomination, I think it, it came out the year before they did the 10 Best Picture. It should have got that. Um, I thought it. I thought it was. I thought it was an amazing, amazing film. And then Dark Knight Rises was like the perfect conclusion to this trilogy. And again, I love all the Avenger. I love the. I love Iron Man one and three. Didn't like two. I like Thor, Captain America. The Marvel movies are a lot of fun. They're big popcorn summer bubblegum bubble movies. These Nolan films, you know. Find me a trilogy where all three are this solid. Right. And I'm it's talking very... about Godfather. The Godfather 3 right. is fucking Beverly Hills 90210 goes to Palermo. Like exactly. it's a it's a bad movie. And Godfather 1 is a masterpiece. Godfather 2 maybe the greatest sequel ever. Right. And the third one is just a disaster. Yeah. And you've got three Batman movies that are unbelievable. It is pretty amazing. I mean, apart from maybe the first three Police Academy films. <laughs> American Ninja 1, 2, and 3. Those are also... I would put those all... I would put those above the Batman movies. Yeah, no, sorry. What I meant was Police Academy 4 through 7. That was their... They got into a groove. I don't know. Solid was their streak. <laughs> 4 through 7. 4 through 7. They're amazing. <laughs> I don't know. For me, Police Academy is like Star Trek. Only the even ones are good. Right. Uh, well, I can't wait until J.J. Abrams uh, reboots the Police Academy <laughs> franchise. <laughs> I assume that at some stage someone probably will. I mean, that's got to have been a conversation that someone's having at some stage, isn't it? That, oh. that, that there should be like a Police Academy Next Generation film, you would have thought, right? Someone's pitching it. You'd think so, right? And it's going to, yeah. I, don't, I would have thought that Steve Good was Steve Goodenberg in yeah, he was yeah. in those right in the original ones uh-huh. he was also in the um, uh, oh why am I blanking on the name oh Short Circuit um, franchise oh, right. he was exactly <laughs> he was indeed but you know like you know they're trying to get give Brad Pitt a franchise with World War Z you know uh-huh. like I mean maybe they need to yeah maybe. bring bring Gutenberg back <laughs> for a, a, a Police Academy gritty reboot you know like I'm saying, G- Gutenberg's playing like the chief of police now. Like, like a he's gritty police academy, academy reboot. reboot. I, so, I can't even. <laughs> I don't even know how to put that into words. What that right? would be? Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Imagine, well, okay. Put it this way, then hypothetical situation. <laughs> Christopher Nolan walks into a meeting. <laughs> They're like, Chris, we're do- everyone's just waiting. What do you want to do? What next? do you want to do next? It, whatever you want. If you want to do something arty, like you, you can do that. You prove that you know. Sure. Like do another Inception. Do whatever yeah. you want. You'll mm-hmm. make even money that. But if you want another franchise, you want to have another go at something. Whatever you want. That's what I would do. If two I... words: Police Academy. <laughs> and then walks out of the room. <laughs> no, no. Then he gets up and he puts his hands out to his side, and Michael Winslow appears and makes a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and he just. <laughs> oh my god dude if I was as powerful as Christopher Nolan you just ring people to fuck with them like that, I would right? say crazy shit yeah. like that just to get these executives to go along with wouldn't it wouldn't you I would Place just for... I'd be like 
Here's a movie, uh, classic film. We need to reboot this. Jim Cotta. Uh, just watch him. Just watch him. Fucking. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and bring in hidden cameras to see how long you can get these guys to go along with it. Be like Jim Cotta. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey guys, how do you feel about this? Uh, Christian Bale mm-hmm. in Jumanji. <laughs> Like, but a gritty take on Jumanji. A, gr- a gritty, a but, gritty. Like, <laughs> he just says gritty on everything. It's a gritty My Pretty Pony. It's a gritty it's a, version. It's a, it's a gritty flubber. It's a. <laughs> Mr. The Incredible Mr. Limpet, but we're going to find out who he was underneath that crazy fish that Don Knotts did. Hey, um, speaking of uh, shitty Robin Williams films, um, I watched Mrs. De- well, not all of, but some of Mrs. Doubtfire yesterday because it was on the television. Had and you been smoking marijuana? I had been, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I go on the road with a stoner, Will. I know what happens. I know what makes these decisions made. <laughs> But it was, I don't know, there was part of me that, because I've seen it once, like I saw it when it came out. And there's funny moments in it. Well, this is the thing that I I remember at the time was Mrs. Doubtfire was like a big movie. Right. Like it was, it was that year's comedy, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. It was the big breakout comedy of the year. Yeah. Isn't Robin Williams hilarious? <laughs> yeah. No, not really. <laughs> not for most of it. Like it's, it doesn't really hold, I mean, I rewatched Groundhog Day recently and that, if you made that, like, exactly the same tomorrow, it would still do great. It's, it's funny. Groundhog Day is funny, funny front to back. And it, it, there's, there's, every scene in there holds up and it's is amazing. funny. And just, just even the transformation of, of Bill Murray's character, how great that is. And how he gets there in all these hilarious vignettes. And just, and all of the, the supporting cast is amazing. Like Rick Dukeman and Rick Overton in the diner, like ah, yeah, put that anywhere. Like every time they do that, they made it funny. Like uh, that that movie, that's like Harold Ramis and Bill Murray at their zenith. I think I saw a preview for something the other day that seems like it's a gritty reboot <laughs> of of Groundhog Day. There's some movie coming out that it's based on time travel and people getting things. It basically is that thing of them telling and getting a. It's a romantic movie of some kind and it's about like you know traveling through time and getting a moment oh right. yeah and yeah i think i saw this trailer what is yeah. this movie now i'm forgetting i, I can't i, I wish i could remember me right but, now but but it was um yeah it it really i was like oh it's a, a groundhog day gritty reboot <laughs> <laughs> christopher nolan must have picked <laughs> really just nolan is just a gritty reboot <laughs> nolan's at home with a bomb on the phone just going mrs doubtfire oh, gritty, gritty reboot, gritty, gritty reboot. <laughs> He just texts his fucking staff. That's all. That's all. He, that's that's all he does. Tootsie, gritty reboot. Doesn't even say gritty reboot. I just says like gr gr <laughs> grb tootsie grb. <laughs> just like those stories of Picasso in his later years when he'd go to restaurants and just write on a napkin some drawing and say that's I'm paying for dinner that way that's what Christopher Nolan does now he just like he just that's how he pays for like hotel suites that's what he does yeah Mr. Nolan the the, the bills come to almost $60,000 for your three week stay Uh, 
How did I pay for this? Uh, well, it says here, Young Einstein Gritty Reboot. So there you go. That's a $60,000 idea. Smoking the Bandit GRB. <laughs> I took some robes. And then he just walks out. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Beverly Hills Cop Gritty Reboot. <laughs> That's on the way out. Oh, this is a freebie. That's a freebie. This, this is a tip your right. staff. Yeah. There you go. Tip your staff. Thanks for the fruit basket. <laughs> I just, I do. Hashtag GRB. Right. Anything related to this episode. Exactly. Yeah. I would. I do love that idea. But isn't that what fucking... Man, I don't want to be... I I never wanted to be a Justin Bieber basher just based on the idea that he was a kid pop star who had done well. Right. right? Because even though I'm not into Justin Bieber music, Mm -hmm. right, it's not for me. Right. It's for teenage girls. Yeah. And at the time, he seemed to be some talented enough kid. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they they found him. Like, you know. Sure. He was singing and dancing and doing whatever already. And they, I mean, it was a pop creation. But, you know. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, fine. And so I never wanted to be one of those guys who was like, boo, easy punchline Justin Bieber. Right. But it turns out that he is a terrible human being. (laughs) You see, he has no parental supervision. Right. And nobody... This is the issue. I remember seeing a whole show about child stars. And imagine this. I mean, you and I, you know, we both came from, like, middle-class parents, right? right? Okay. Imagine being 14 years old and making five times what your dad made. You know, imagine how that would change the dynamic. Right. You know, of your parents who when you're 15 are like, when you, and you're like, I want to do this. They're like, no, you're not. I, I pay for this house. Imagine you being 15 going, no, no, I pay for this yeah, house. I pay for this house. And remember, Dad, your new job is to give me a hand job after I come off stage <laughs> to reveal bleed stress. Now go and put on your gloves and warm up the oil. Yes, son. Yeah. Yes, son. Whatever you want. Well, that, it's true, though. But apparently uh, Bieber's been big on like, um, you know, like signing for, you know, like if you've got that much money, why aren't you, I would splash it to every decent person. Right. Like every, like, you know. Wouldn't you want to be the guy that just gave, like, you know what I mean? Like, in, like we were <laughs> We were talking about this with, at the show, Grown Ups 2, about they all got Maseratis or whatever. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, that was, yeah. So I was saying this to you last night, because that's the big story about Grown Ups, right. is that afterwards, they've all got home to their house, and Adam Sandler's bought them all a Maserati. Right. Right? And, and, and I was just saying to you, like, you know, if going into Grown Ups 2, they'd all just going, you know what? Let's just pass on the Maserati money, and why don't you give that to someone to write a decent script? Yeah. <laughs> it probably would have been better for everybody. But you made an even better point, which was maybe they could have just given the Maserati money to... Someone who needed it. Yeah. Like, especially, you know, we've just gone through, uh, I don't know how much it impacted Australia, but we're just finally coming out of like a three, four year recession where people have lost their jobs and their homes and all this stuff. And And I, I think that it's important for you to say that because for our Australian listeners in particular, and I think like people who listen to this podcast are smart enough to understand this is true, but in Australia, 
it never went into recession in that entire oh. time, right? One of the only first world countries that, you know, survived mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Like unemployment in Australia just hit 5.7%. And that in the papers this week, there was like, oh, unemployment's up. Like yeah, it's 5.7% in wow. Australia, right? Wow. So, and even though, you know, they fudge with the figures and that sure. sort of thing. But, you know, it's on a kind of world level, it's been an amazing time in Australia. But you wouldn't necessarily know that if you read the press over sure. there because it's still been tough times right do you know what I mean like it's yeah, been a constricting yeah. of our economy as well mm-hmm. people are doing worse but compared to when I go around the world and see people actually doing yeah. really terribly you go oh you know like and that's the thing like you're how out of touch are you that you know you just oh and when you hear these like you know Kim Kardashian spent a hundred grand at Tiffany's and diamonds well first right. of all that's everything that's wrong with everything everything like, you're a terrible person uh, on the, from front to back you're everything that's wrong with America with the West with humans yeah like everything like I don't even know where to begin first diamonds are made by slave labor right so let's start there yeah and then you know and everyone's like oh she's so glammed out like how could you I don't think I could ever spend more than 30 grand on a car Right. Ever. I just don't think I could. If I had crazy money, I would I would have a house by the beach, not a mansion, and I'd have nice things, but I couldn't justify a third two hundred thousand dollar car when I know two hundred grand could get a, an average family, you know, the house they're about to have to foreclose on and they get move out of the neighborhood and move into an apartment that you could just walk up and go Hey, middle-class family of five that's busting their ass. Here. It's solved. I got it. Right. Like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that bring you more joy than a DVD player in your spare tire, whatever the fuck you're getting <laughs> in your stupid car? You know, like, it just blows me away, you know? And, and I don't... When somebody gets a DVD player installed in their, like, spare tire of their car, it should be compulsory to put a DVD of just children starving. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just like, 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 eat the open kids yeah, with the right. flies and everything. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, but I absolutely agree with you. And, of course, we all make those decisions every day. Like, I mean, you know, as in, like... There is no one in this world who at some stage, particularly here in the US where there are homeless people everywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, I try to if I can or if I have some money or if I can Uh in a situation contribute. But there's so many you couldn't couldn't. couldn't give to everybody. No. But the point is that if you really think about that, you're walking past a human being that does not have a home, that probably has mental illness of some kind. Well, then the problem is, though, then he's probably not a believer. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that joke. I couldn't, I couldn't resist that joke in the middle of a serious discussion. I'm sorry, I couldn't. It's the homeless guy's fault, is my point, if he's not a believer, just right. like Anne Frank. Right, Anne Frank definitely would have been a believer. Well, see, that was just. I mean, occasionally, when somebody says something so stupid, like, you should be able to just punch them. It's, and the, and this is the problem with anybody of any sort of success or celebrity is the people surrounding them have a vested financial interest in saying whatever has to be said. Right. No, it's, it's bad. They could lose their job if they go, what are you doing? Like, you're a jackass. That's why the best like leaders and or successful people have counselors that are, that, that, 
they're hired to question them. Absolutely. That's the smartest thing you should do. You want someone to go, uh-uh, I don't agree with that. Bad idea. Even if you override them because you needed to hear their opposition to either make you change your mind or or strengthen your position. And that's what that's what a good leader does and just you know there's people just yeah whatever you want they're telling him whatever you want and no one's going that's fucked up you know no one's saying that's that's a fucked no up one's thing. saying don't piss in a bucket in a <laughs> restaurant someone actually has to clean it up a human being yeah yeah it's te- I mean anyway I don't want to get fucking bogged down in it but but <laughs> you know what I thought was really interesting I was listening to the new Jay Z album uh, just before you came here I like Jay Z I like the idea of Jay Z sometimes more than I like Jay Z like I'm not you know like right. you know and uh, on his new album. He has like one of the most topical, like, you know, rappers are quite famous for putting like, you know, newsy items or like they reflect something that's going on in society. But he has a line about Miley Cyrus going back to twerking, right? Like, and twerking is a thing that only has been on the radar like for weeks, really. (laughs) Like, you know, it, but I just was like, that's a great topical reference to say that your album is hot off the presses. But like in six months from now, it'd be like having a planking reference or yeah. something like that. Like, <laughs> like a Gangnam style thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. This it's is like already, I know everyone, it is. It's already gone. It's already gone. It's like, yeah. I don't know if you should be doing topical shit, Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> See if it's going to last. Well, that's the thing like, I wonder. I wonder about a guy like Jay-Z who had, you know, came up obviously as a rapper and now he's this mogul. Right. So the question he's is... He's not a businessman. He's a business He is man. a business... Yeah. Boom. Um, how is... Like, when that starts happening and you get to that level of being a... You know, you're a conglomerate. Mm, a brand. You're a brand. Yeah. How do you... How do you maintain the creativity? When your day is not filled with how do I be creative, right. your day is filled with meetings and business and bing, bang, boom and this and all that. So how do you then, like I'm, I'm curious, just as a guy that's creative that is in all these business ventures and it's like there is all this like just doing whatever, the festival or comedy film, there's just, just these nuts and bolts business things that has to happen. How do you... He has um, uh, child labor factories in China. <laughs> he right, does. That right, that that right, right is, rap lyrics? Yeah. They're all there with their tiny fingers and some rhyming dictionaries. And they get like copies of like Us magazine and stuff for references. And they, I love it. And they have to watch documentaries about the streets. Yeah. I, and then... <laughs> and then they watch The Wire. Right. They watch then, The Wire. They flip through Tom Ford catalogs. And they have a rhyming dictionary, and they send JC rap lyrics. I want that to be true. I want that to be the reality that we live in. That's what Imagine I want. Imagine if it came out that the entire JC empire was like offshore, outsourced. They, they finally do like a sixty minutes report or something like that, and they they go in and there's like this old guy in the corner, and uh, everyone's like, like because all the rest are children, and like who's that? Who's that old guy? And they're like, oh, he's the only one who was allowed to stay because he was the one who came up with 99 problems. <laughs> so, like, he's a legend of the industry. Just... He became, like, the manager right. of the slave labor because <laughs> he came up with 99 problems. <laughs> Some old Chinese dude. I feel like Jay-Z has a lot less problems than he had 
when 99 problems came out. Yeah. If you listen to his new album, I feel like a lot of those problems have resolved themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wealthy. I have a beautiful wife. Right. My business is going great. Things are great. I'm a self-made man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is the issue of when you come up as an angry artist that's calling out the problems of the world. And then what do you do when you're, what do you, I mean, even comedians have had that, that dilemma. Well, I've quoted this before, but um, Eddie Izzard says, um, you know, you have to kind of still have a life because you can't get on stage and say, you know, my butler tells me the right. chips are expensive. Like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you have to be doing things. Right. And I, that is hard for people to do, I think. I think it's interesting when you watch someone um, become successful, like in that period of time where, you know, particularly if their act was underdog, you know, when they're suddenly successful, how do they, you know, reflect or play with those sort of concepts? Well, like Dennis Miller, you know, came up as the angry guy calling everybody on the streets and he became this rich dude and then suddenly became right wing. It was like... And now, how relevant is he? You know what I mean? He's at his fucking castle up in Santa Barbara, you know, phoning in shit to Sean Hannity on Fox, like, Obamacare's killing your grandmother, boo-boo. Like, what is he, what's... And in the 90s, he was the most, like, cutting-edge, hip guy, like, calling everybody on their shit, the right and the left, and then he just went, became this rich old white guy that's... I listened to his radio show once a couple years ago, and he was talking about, you know, um, you know, I live in Santa Barbara and I see the oil, the oil rigs out off the shores. And I'm like, there's America taking care of its own. I'm like, are you out of your goddamn mind? What? You, you're a smart guy. Right. You have to know that any oil anywhere... If it's in your backyard, they can sell that oil to anybody. Uh-huh. This dumb concept. They don't just pipe it over to your house. Yeah, and this, uh, just pipe it over. And, oh, that'll make gas two bucks a gallon yeah. again. Like, you're... Uh, you, no, you, that's not how it works. It's the dumbest <laughs> thing anyone's ever said. Like, oh, that's... Yeah, he's an idiot. It's really interesting. It's re- I mean, you know, because obviously people do change as they get older. They're, like, I mean, you know, that, there's that old cliche about, like, you know that everyone's kind of liberal when they're yeah, in their right. 20s and, you know, yeah. whatever. But, you know, so so it is interesting. And, you know, you do see people's political positions change and their, mm-hmm. their worldview change. But when someone takes such a like, a, like a term like that, you always wonder, were they pretending before or are right. they pretending now? Because I can't imagine that you can have that big a shift. Like, mm-hmm. it's got, it's, it strikes me that one is more the natural position and one was pretending. Right. Like the guy who's married for like 25 years, but then as soon as he's not married, is like, guess what I'm doing now? Sucking every cock in America. Because <laughs> that's all I ever wanted to do. I live <laughs> now yeah. I'm having a crack at it's it. It's the diamond anniversary of my lie. Yeah. And I'm going to suck some dicks. Yeah, so yeah, Dennis Miller sucks dick. Is that your point? I forget. I think that was, that's what we're going to call it. <laughs> that's what we're going to call the episode. <laughs> Does ruin plans to get him on. <laughs> For how much... A much anticipated balance episode. <laughs> yeah, our, your favorite. I would love balance. if we actually. I mean, I, that that idea. There's been fucking you know 150 episodes of this stupid thing, and I, I imagine if like I had to go back and like provide a balance point of view for every stupid argument. <laughs> oh God, I can't even. Tofop the counter argument. The counter, yeah. Oh God, <laughs> Tofop fair and balanced. <laughs> That would just be. That would be. 
Oh God, that just seems like a ridiculous. So where do you get your news from in America then? If you, I mean, obviously, because this is hard to do in this day and age here. Now. Oh boy, I, you know, I watch the TV news just enough, right? To see kind of what's going on and to see what angle. I'm very like, oh, how are they pitching this? Like, how are they trying to pitch this to me? And then I try to get a lot of stuff off the internet by doing like my own research and I try to read. I really like reading, uh, I got to read my subscription, but I really like reading The Economist. I think The Economist is sort of the best, um, you know, magazine about global politics and their take on American politics is very, as an outsider looking in, which is good because, um, you know, America is so isolated and maybe you guys have this this uh, as an issue just as the geographics of Australia as well is because it's not like Europe where you share borders with right. all these different c- cultures and languages and stuff like that. So you're sort of stuck, you know, and, the, and Americans have a, dis- a view that is just off, you know, when you travel around the world or even just traveling extensively around the U.S. and then going around the world you just see that so many Americans just their view is just off. So I like getting because the mainstream American media is corporate run. Like when they say it's liberal, I go, that is a joke. Right. There's like these multinational conglomerates that own every major media outlet. And they're just trying to sell you stuff and to keep you scared. That's all they're doing in various forms. Even MSNBC is just another version. I mean, they're, you know, like they used to be, NBC used to be, I think, I don't know if it's still the case, but they, they were owned by General Electric for a while. Like, I don't give a fuck what Rachel Maddow was saying. If she really went after General Electric, which makes uh, weapons of mass destruction in addition to microwaves, she'd get the fuck shut down really quickly, man. Like, that's that whole, that whole thing is preposterous. So, I, I don't know. I try to kind of graze across as many different things as I can to get a different picture because you'll see it, you'll see the same story told so many different ways. And you can really kind of, from there, you can, I, I think you sort of have to be a detective if you want to get accurate news in America. I think that that's probably the case everywhere to a certain degree now, is that idea of, and I think you're absolutely right, like a guy wrote to me recently to ask me the question about Australia, saying, you know, what, you know, because there are, in Australia, because obviously Rupert Murdoch, you know, who's mm-hmm. responsible for many of the terrible, you know, news decisions that are in this country, yeah. uh, is responsible for most of the terrible news decisions in the United Kingdom, and is, of course, our most famous Australian. So, <laughs> our gift to the world. <laughs> there you go. America did Coca-Cola, you right. guys did Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, he... Um, is a really interesting um, sort of example of how the media weirdly I think Australia still gets the best like of his terrible papers if you know what I mean like his terrible papers in Australia like the News Limited Press there's the Australian which is kind of just a right wing sort of voice for the Murdoch Empire that makes no money and wouldn't exist if it actually competed in the free market that it advocates every day in the newspaper Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> essentially uh, just a great ironic joke the, Austra- the right. existence of the Australian newspaper because it is the market of the free market that wouldn't survive in the free market 
But then you have the Herald Sun and the Daily Telegraph, which are the two biggest tabloid newspapers in the world. And they're your daily tabloid newspapers in Melbourne and Sydney. Mm-hmm. In Melbourne and Sydney, they also have the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, which were the broadsheet, you know, and supposedly more credible newspapers. Right. So the other two are the bigger newspapers and they're the Murdoch papers. There's some terrible things that they do, but in the scale of what Murdoch has done in the other news markets... It actually isn't as bad as okay. where, wherever else he's gone. That's not to say it's not bad. It just mm-hmm. means that, you know. But um, now I can't fucking remember why I was even telling you that Rupert Murdoch. Where I was kind of saying, I was asking you sort of how you would get your news. Oh, so this guy messaged me. That was the point I was going to make was this dude messaged me to say, well, I can't read the Daily Telegraph and I can't read the Herald Sun because they're, you know, these Murdoch, you know, trashy right. things. And I said, no, no, no. I think that you should. I... There's a lot of journalism in those newspapers that is good tabloid journalism. Sure. As long as you are aware that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's told in an entertaining way and it'll get to the point of all the, you know, the crime and the blah, blah, blah. But you've also got to read it with your brain on. Right. You know, you just can't believe that everything there is true. Right. And then you should read the other paper and then you should watch some of the news and you should like... I mean, I, li- I li- listen to... The most right-wing guy in Australia is this dude, like, he's our um, Rush Limbaugh or like, right, those, right. like any of those sort of people, you know, Glenn Beck or whatever. He's a guy called Andrew Bolt. Mm-hmm. And I listen to his podcast of his radio show every day. And it's terrible. Like, terrible. I disagree with everything that he's ever said pretty much on every topic. But I listen because there's a certain amount of society that, you know... It's an hour. I listen to an hour a day. But, like, I listen to that so I hear what they're saying about the exact same issues that I'm reading about. And then I mostly, because of my natural state of politics, yeah, most of the things that I read on my own are kind of more the left-wing sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I get a big, broad thing. And then I can kind of go, well, out of all the things I've heard, this makes the most sense to me, you know, when I've heard the arguments. Because everyone doesn't give you all the arguments. No. That's the problem. Like, even if you're like, well, I love this one. But you're like, well, they didn't actually tell me about this, this, and this. Which, even though it came from the horrible right-wing guy, they are good points to consider. Right. But, yeah, they they have good points to consider sometimes. But they present them with wrapped up with all this other nonsense that you know is like, oh, that's your xenophobia or your racism or... Whatever, it's all coming from fear. And that's the problem, right? Yeah, that's the problem. Like, I would love, if I was like a crazy billionaire, I would love to have a independent news channel and we would never cover any Lindsay Lohan, any crap like that. Mm-hmm. And we would get legitimate and we would have discussions, not arguments because... You know, oh, the big arguments sell. I wouldn't. I would like. I don't give a shit. And I I'd like you to have you have a little counter down the bottom. By the way, it was like you know, three hundred and fifty days, Lindsay Lohan free. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You should really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just... That'd be hilarious. Yeah. But like, because I have a friend of mine, and I think I might have mentioned it when I was on the, the show last time. But uh, he's he's more right wing than I am, and I've known yeah, him for years. Sure. And we have these discussions, even debates. They never get mean. They never get ugly. We always joke about it. And I'm like. I think there's a there's enough percentage of people in America that are sick of the just yelling on TV or the or the or the whatever. Whatever side you're on, we don't get anywhere if we just pick sides and yell at each other. Nothing, nothing is done. Because also it feels like if one side wins, the other side is necessarily a loser. Right? Can't we find some things that we mostly or because here's the thing that I believe about life, and I genuinely believe this to be true. We have so much more in common. Of course. Than the things that we don't have in common. 
It's, it's we, we should, again, like we were saying about like the comedy rooms. Like, you right. know, that thing is, if we all do well, we all do well. We all do well. Right? Like, and that's the thing with the world as well. We, we actually are all in this together. It's no one, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me that people don't grasp that. It's like, um, you know, going back to the recession, I think that some, some fairly sizable portions of America have started to realize that a little bit just in this one example. In 2007, they did a survey, uh, you know, and about 33, 34% of, them, of, of Americans surveyed said buying a product that was made in America mattered to them. Yeah, sure. They read that again in 2012, it's up to like 67%. Okay. Because they, everyone went, oh, it does matter. It does matter. This is people's jobs. Yeah, these are people's jobs. But also big business got behind the actual philosophy and concept of that. Like right. if you looked at the Super Bowl ads that came out for the big car companies, mm-hmm. there was the M&M yeah. one and the Detroit, like, you know, thing, and it became like patriotic. It yeah. became like if you want to help America through this time, right. here's a way that you could do that. It's... I've always said in Australia, if they wanted to like help Australia... Like, if they wanted to help Australia immediately, like, if I ran for politics, this would be my one idea. Like, you know, if you were just going to, here's how, because most people want to support, A, their local community, because yeah. we do instinctively understand, like, you, just today, it's funny, right. you came to this, like, to mm-hmm. do the show, and you said, instead of going to, like, a major coffee brand, you stopped into the... Local guy, Main Squeeze. Right. Right on Main Street and got an organic smoothie thing, because... Because you were like, he's the local guy. He's a local guy, I want to support business, him. right? Yeah. So we all want to do that, right? But sometimes in the ease of uh, price and convenience, sure. we can't, either we're not in a position to do that or it, we don't have the energy or time to do that or whatever, right? right? So the big one, for particularly for Australia, for our manufacturing and for our, like, you know, our farming industry and mm-hmm. stuff, because we're isolated, right. it is kind of important that we do have some industries where we grow our own food and stuff because if we were ever cut off from the world for any reason... And yeah. people think that's a preposterous idea, but no, if you think not. of the idea of like a an outbreak of some bird kind, flu, right? You if can, bird flu happens somewhere, they're going to shut down every single airport and port, and every country, or, and Australia especially, especially if it doesn't happen in Australia, Australia has a chance of survival right. because they're going to have to shut it down. And you're talking about a country that already has some of the strictest quarantine laws in the world because there's a lot of diseases that aren't in Australia yet that they've managed to right. keep out for all this mm-hmm. time. So it's not, you know, I think we always still have to have, so I think, and they do those same surveys in Australia, right. which is that idea of like, you know, people instinctively when asked like, yeah, well, I would like to buy Australia, mm-hmm. right? But when they're in the supermarket, they tend to just look at like, you know, the cheapest or whatever when they're all there together, right? Here's what I would do. I would make a supermarket. Now, obviously, this makes it harder for the supermarkets. But, you know, in Australia, 60% of all the, the every dollar spent in Australia goes to one of our two supermarkets. So, like, you know what? They can make a few compromises yeah. for the sake of our country. Here's what it would do. On one side of the, the supermarket, just be split in two. It would be mirror image of each other. So, basically, one side would be entirely Australian-made and produced products. So, if you were a person who just philosophically wanted to right. always shop Australian... You would just go and then compare prices between the Australian products or whatever. But mm-hmm. you're in, you know that anything you buy in that entire area of the supermarket is Australian. If there are things that you enjoy from overseas, mm-hmm. you can then just pop over to the sure. other side and grab all the things. Because it's not like everything's made. Like, you know, you right. might have a... Right. 
Or, you know, or if you don't care about it, you can still go. But that would be amazing for Australia. It'll never happen, but that would actually be amazing. And the thing you said something, and again, we, we, we started out with a broad topic and we've, we've kind of focused in a little bit on the economics, but the economics is a nice microcosm that, that demonstrates how going to the initial topic of we are all connected. You said a word compromise, and I don't know why people have such a hard time with that. And it's like, if we all compromise, like here in the States and these giant corporations that have screwed so many things up. And they just want to give tax breaks to the rich and all this. The thing that I don't get, I would like to sit them all down in a room and go, if everybody has a job, healthcare, decent public schools, guess what? They're going to buy your stuff. Poor people can't buy your shit, man. And if you keep raising rates and squeezing people out of stuff, they're going to turn on you. They're going to come and get your stuff. They're going to come and get you. If they don't have it and you do... There's a storm coming, Mr. Yeah. White. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn reckoning. No, but I absolutely agree with you. But I also agree with this idea of at least could we just start with compromising on stuff that we're actually not that passionate about? Yeah. Because at the moment, it seems like everything has to be a fight. Whereas... If we just started by comprom- like stop being angry about shit right. that isn't actually I know. Like it doesn't affect you. If something doesn't affect you, if someone else is getting something or doing something or right. being able to get married or whatever and it doesn't affect you in any way. Why then, do you care? Right. It's it's like my thing with like, you know, uh, asylum seekers like is you know, one of those hot button issues in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's like I have no problem with someone complaining if they work in an industry where it has been evidence that cheaper labor coming in from overseas illegally is putting people out of jo- like if that is actually happening okay then okay sure make that argument but if you're some dude who doesn't work in an industry where an asylum seeker is ever going to come to your country and take your job and it's never going to affect your life and it's some poor person fleeing religious or right. like war persecution mm-hmm. on a boat risking their entire life to come to this country for a new start and you lose nothing from them doing that, shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. Yeah, if it doesn't affect you at all, let's just start with shutting the fuck up about shit that doesn't affect us. Well, the other thing too, at the, at the core of that is, so you don't have any compassion? Like you have no compassion or sympathy for anybody else? Fuck. I mean, Graham, you are being a bit mean because they did a lot uh, of hard work to be born in the environment they were born in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And- I know, I've earned the right of the randomness of where I was born. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing, like, if you travel I don't know if you know that, but every baby is inside their mum going, Australia, Australia, that'll be good. (laughs) Socialized medicine, (laughs) really nice beaches. Uh, um, uh, You know, that's the thing that, that, like, during the whole Obamacare uh, debate when it got really hot like a year or two ago leading up to the 2012 election you know there was a bunch of and I think it was like tea party people and they they were talking about they were having sort of like a, a rally kind of and someone you know said well and were, I think they were bringing no it was, it was oh I'm sorry it was at one of the presidential debates and uh, you know I think it was Mitt Romney's no, maybe it was Obama said. Anyway, one of them said something like, "Well, then, so pe- poor people that they don't have health care, they're just they're just on their own. They got to fend for themselves, and then they're gonna die." Some people in the audience cheered, like, "Yeah, you don't have it, screw you!" And yeah. it's just like, "Wow, 
That is, is yeah. that what Jesus would do? Right. Is that what Jesus was all about? Just like, fuck you, man. You didn't get it. You know, yeah. and just that that attitude. I'm like, and that to me, like you say, it starts, it starts on being nice on the street. You know what I mean? It starts on being nice in your local whatever, coffee shop. It starts on going, hey, looking around and saying, you know, I live in a one-bedroom apartment. It's not fancy. I can do the the comparison thing, especially in show business. Right. I can say, oh, you know, I started doing I'm friends with Zach Galifianakis and all these guys that are multimillionaires and oh, I don't have this and this. Or I could go, you know, I've been to Afghanistan. I fed orphans through a barbed wire fence bottles of water and they ran across the side of a of a of a minefield right i've done that and i can go well then i'm i'm if you live in the west you're so lucky and shouldn't i then want to help right so do you help no fuck them My boy should have been born in the States, kid. Right. USA. USA. <laughs> oh, we've just learned Graham Elwood is the most horrible person on the planet. Um, he's the new, he's a new believer. <laughs> you're the new Dennis Miller. I'm the new Dennis Miller. You just, Boom, you, had, so you, had a, you had a Dennis Miller moment. Oh, yeah. Boy, you, I, you went on the Dennis Miller road to. <laughs> road to hell. I yeah. just flipped a coin and said, fuck him. Hey, uh, you should listen to uh, Graham's podcast, which is called Comedy Film Nerds. It is an excellent, excellent, excellent podcast. I listen to it every week. Um, also, You're going to be on it. I, oh, yes. In fact, this week, right? Yes. So, yeah, people should. So, this is going to go up today. So, um, July 16th, it'll be up. So, uh, yeah, Tuesday, July 16th, we record and put up the same day. So, right, great. So, I'll be on this week. So, make sure you check out Comedy Film Nerds this week. Um, uh, and uh, yes, I have some interesting thoughts about a film that I saw. So that yeah, we're gonna have it. You're gonna and you're gonna do fun. the spoiler up. It'll be good. It'll be very good. Um, also, you can catch us at the uh, LA Podcast Festival, October four through six. Yes, yeah, so uh, um, it's going to be the first time I've ever done Fofop live. So uh, oh. big encouragement to any US fans or any Aussies who are going to be in the US at that time, particularly for the podcast festival. It was, it was honestly last time, like at the first one. I, and people have heard me say this before because I said it at the time. But it's rare. And I mean, it's exact. It, in fact, it comes back to that exact same mm-hmm. thing that we were talking about. We started talking about this. Mm-hmm. Was That's what that was like. Everyone was in it together. That's, like even the audience. Because they were at something. Yeah. That like they a, helped fund right. through Kickstarter. Exactly. It was... It was such a cool event last year. And we're going to... It's, it's going to be at the same location. We're just going to add more shows. I felt like I was just at summer camp with all my friends. It was amazing, wasn't it? I laughed for three days straight. You wandered in and out of rooms. You like saw all your mates. Everyone did everyone else's shows. Every show was great. The fans, because you know these shows have such wonderful fans, but also because of podcasting and the nature of it, there's a lot of crossover sometimes between Mm -hmm. fans of different shows. So it was the and the fans because the podcast fan is so loyal. Mm. Like the thing that so many fans said, it was great being in a place where I didn't have to explain what a podcast Podcast was. was. Which is so frustrating. Um, so they love that. And then it's, you know, at a music festival, you know, you got this guy from this band jamming with this other band. And yeah. our version of that is like popping in and riffing and making the other guys laugh. And like, it was so 
fun. Yeah, and I'm good. so glad you were there for it. And I'm glad you're doing your show there. And I'm really happy that you're doing... I, I like it when shows do something special or unique for the festival. And the fact, this is your first ever live one. And the, one of the ways we wanted to set it up, we put it in this nice hotel in Santa Monica, is we wanted it to be a vacation for people. Right. Like, if you're planning a holiday to the States... To the, you can put it around this time. Do it. It's at... I mean, that's a great thing, as you, you said, and that's why you picked that rather than being in town, is it's closer to the airport if people are flying mm-hmm. in. You can come down, like, hook up at the hotel, stay at the beach for a few days, go to the podcast festival. I mean, it's ideal. Yeah, I mean, so, like, if you... Yeah, I mean, like, it's literally two blocks from where I'm living at the moment. Yeah, it's, so. it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's four blocks from the beach. Yeah. It's awesome. So, yeah. lapodfest.com. There we go. Look at that. All right. Thank you very much, Graham Alwood. Much appreciate having you on.